0: So did you feel torn a little bit between like two different worlds?
1: I did. I did. And it's been the it's been my um, my my reality ever since Um, Mm. that it is that the the black identity movement and the and the sexual identity movement and the women's movement were all happening simultaneously.
0: Hey everyone, so before we get to our interview, I want to let you know that this is the final episode for season one and likely the final episode of the podcast overall. I always planned for this to be a limited run project and our time has come to an end, unless someday I decide to pick it up and plan another season. But for now, this is it. Thanks to everyone who's listened, to my wife Ruth who has been so supportive, to all my guests and everyone who has helped me find guests, and to my university, Northeastern Illinois University. You all made this project possible. With that said, let's turn to our interview. This interview today has it all. I was privileged to be able to interview Kanyon, who has a fascinating biography. She grew up in the segregated South before becoming involved in the women's, gay and lesbian, and black power movements as a college student. She then joined the US military and later became a civil rights attorney. In addition to those fascinating headlines though, Kanyon is just an engaging and warm person, and I really enjoyed our discussion. I think you will too. And with that, here's Cunyon. Hi, Cunyon. Hi, Amy. How are you today?
1: I'm good. It's a little early for me, but um, I'm glad to be talking with you.
0: It's great to have you here. I'm so grateful that you agreed to do this. So why don't you start by telling our listeners a little about yourself?
1: Um, About myself now, um, I'm a Chicagoan uh, transplant um, from Richmond Virginia where I grew up I practice civil rights law um, I'm single um, which turned out to be a challenge during during covid it was probably one of the few times in my life that I wished I had a partner hmm. um, because it was uh, interesting getting to know myself a lot more and for two mm. years, and I, um, I'm, I would say I'm an introvert. I, I, I like spending time um, away from crowds, um, but I do like intimate gatherings. I, um, I'm reading a bunch on my, on my tablet, and I am rereading all the books around me. Um, just to remind myself why I bought them in the first place. Hmm. Uh, and I, I do the New York Times crossword puzzle um, electronically.
0: <laughs> My wife does too. Yeah. <laughs> what do you like to read?
1: Um, uh, essays, uh, short fiction. Right now I'm reading a, I just read two novellas by Kurt Vonnegut. But I'm reading a collection of short pieces by John Edgar Weidman, oh. who is a just a terrific um terrifically insightful um writer who's um, well recognized um, and his the short fiction so far has just been really, really interesting. i The piece I just read was a was an an encounter between. John Brown, the abolitionist, and Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist, and I—I hmm. I don't think such an encounter ever took place. But he has them um, meeting and deciding to work together, and and it's uh, it develops in a kind of um, almost magical realist way. Mm-hmm. But that was that was fun. Oh, and i interesting. On to the next one.
0: So you're an attorney, but you have a literary side too.
1: Yes, it's it's um, interesting because when I when I was in law school, I was um, I was doing a mock appellate argument, and I you have to write the brief, and it was you know it was an issue of I think um, searches in public schools. So I had written this mm. this what was supposed to be a brief. Um and i was i was told by the by my by the mock judge that um i was i should consider journalism instead of instead of law because I wasn't writing like a lawyer
0: uh-huh, you were sort of telling a story
1: I was telling a story uh-huh. and, you, and instead of making
0: be, a case yeah
1: yes i wasn't I wasn't being enough of a of an advocate, I was a storyteller. And it it mm-hmm. turns out that the mock judge actually became a judge. It was Sonia Sotomayor.
0: Oh. Wait, uh, the person who said that to you was Sonia Sotomayor?
1: Yeah, she was, a, she That's was amazing. Two years, she was two years ahead of me in law school.
0: <laughs> wow. I yes. actually got to shake her hand and my daughter got a picture sitting on her lap. Yes. She, oh. She came terrific. to Chicago a couple of years ago. And she was, I mean, talk about like. Her presence on a stage is yes. like, I, I mean, I've you, you know, I, I, it was like unbelievable just how powerful she was and yes. how impressive and, she was, yeah. and
1: also a great storyteller.
0: Mm-hmm. She's like, that was what I was going to say the difference between making a case and telling a story is actually pretty, those are pretty intertwined. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. Um, can you start by let's. Let's start by hearing a little bit about you and your background. Tell me a little bit about your family and where you grew up and that sort of thing.
1: Well, I um, I was number four um, in my in my family. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and I um, had I was the second second daughter and the fourth child, and I ended up with. Two sisters and five brothers. Um, unfortunately, three of the brothers have passed on. Um, mm. Despite um, my having some advantages, um, they had they were afflicted with the diseases that affect poor black people. They mm. both two the the three brothers had diabetes and high blood pressure and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and succumb to, to succumb to COVID just because oh. of how compromised they were.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's,
1: I, I, I'm um pretty fortunate in my family. Everybody was, everybody was smart, but not everybody hit that um mm-hmm. corner of opportunity in a, at a time when they were prepared to meet it. So I consider mm-hmm. myself really, really fortunate. And mm-hmm. that's, that's true of a lot of, a lot of Black people. I know bunches and bunches of smart people who could be doing what I do or other other things and they just didn't hit the opportunities right Or the opportunities were taken so Mm -hmm. um and I so I I grew up going to um all black schools in Richmond and being kind of um I had ADHD I wasn't being diagnosed then but I was I was pretty fidgety and I I interrupted and I blurted out things in class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all the It's a good
0: sign a lot of the time. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And
1: as as it turns out instead of someone saying, "You know, I think you might have some sort of syndrome." They said, "You are naughty and you
2: mm-hmm.
1: you have you get a C in conduct." Oh. Um, um so yeah, I I was and I was I would I became an avid reader then, um, mm-hmm. and and actually for an interesting reason I was I was kind of small I'm I'm five two now but at the time I was really small for my age, and so I would like to go to the library and get books and then I'd I'd have four or five of them and I, I'd be you know, struggling to carry these books and it just um, oh. got me a lot of attention. I was an attention seeker too, so it was.
0: Oh, <laughs> I can just imagine like little oh. tiny. Oh, tiny yes, men. yes. All your books. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you sound um, really charming. My daughter is very energetic and she's, you know, I feel like maybe these days there's a little more like, I don't know. I feel like she gets feedback sometimes from adults. That's like, I'm glad that you're such a strong willed girl.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, That backhand compliment. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But I, I, I'm, she's very, she's a handful, but I always tell myself it'll serve her well in the future. And it's it's obviously served you.
1: Oh, oh, it, it, it will. Um, and you, and there, there are times that I'm glad I didn't start getting medicated for the, Mm. for the, um, Spirit that i had <laughs> um, mm-hmm. al- although i i was never the top of my class because of all those c's and conduct <laughs>
0: so did you did you take to school early or did that come later
1: i um i i did kind of i kind of took to it um, it was it was um not easy for me because because we didn't have a lot of money, and mm. so i i was often i was often hungry, um, and i wasn't terribly up on things that other kids had. You know when and this is the 60s. You know, so what kids had was different from what they have now that they consider necessities. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were necessities then. It just wasn't, the, weren't the same ones. Um, and I, so I I kind of liked school and I liked school because the teachers would give me more attention than my mother would give me. Mm. mother had to spread her attention among um, lots of us. And the the teachers, you know, they liked to pick out the smart kids and nurture them to the to the exclusion of the kids who might have needed more nurturing, um, so in in a way that was good for me, but it was not that not that good a system. Mm. Um, but I um, and so I was encouraged. I was you know I got to be in AP classes and stuff, and it was odd that I didn't feel like my school was depriving me of anything. It was all black, so we didn't have a we didn't have a an Olympic pool in the gym. And we, I think we had, we had a gym, but I think we had no pool at all. And sometimes the books were, sometimes our books were, um, hand-me-downs from the, from the white schools, Mm -hmm. but they were, or they were written in or something, but it it didn't really, didn't really stall me or make me not like school. Mm -hmm. And, um, Interestingly, we started getting we started getting white teachers um, in, I think in middle school. And so it and they they liked me in the way that you like a dog that can stand on its hind legs and dance. You know, it was kind of oh, uh. you know, what a peculiar thing, a little dark child who can speak. Yeah, how did uh, you,
0: how did that feel for you?
1: Well, it it felt, it made a, I had a little flutter in my tummy when they did it, Mm -hmm. um, because it made me stand out among my other other students, but I was also just delighted that they thought I was smart, and Mm -hmm. as it turns out, I started to think that being smart was all there was, and that that was what mm-hmm. was going to get me through life. And they also would tell me that and would not tell me, for instance, about obstacles and barriers that were going mm-hmm. to confront me. Um, and it it also was to the exclusion of any other development things that I
2: mm-hmm. was
1: doing. I, um, I told some friends a couple years ago that I had never had a birthday party, and they were stunned, um, and gave me one. (laughs) So, Hmm. but I didn't go to didn't have birthday parties. I didn't go to sleepovers. I didn't have friends over to the house um, because our we had a house, um, but it was it was crowded, and it was we our our stuff was not you know really posh or anything. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: we just, I just didn't have friends to come over. So this attention from a teacher would be the only, only thing I'd get. So I mm-hmm. liked it, but I knew that something was wrong about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Gosh.
1: And I later, later learned what was wrong about it and, um, was really angry with them.
0: Yeah. That must've felt like a betrayal in hindsight.
1: It did. It did and i i it made me though recognize when other people were kind of um complimenting me for being something that was not that extraordinary
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and for being for just for being um able to articulate a Full sentence or a thought, and mm-hmm. that was that was the least they could have expected of me, and right. not not this over the moon feat that they made it out to be. So mm-hmm. that that was a disservice to me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so, I try to be careful not to do it to other people.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it sort of communicates
1: like low expectations yes yes Mm -hmm. yes it does and um there is i'm not sure if i'm saying the expression right but it's the the benign neglect of low expectations Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: it's just that you you know you get by with the least little thing Mm -hmm. so i i also discovered that i could do very little and do well enough which was a bad thing to discover if you're also ADD and distracted by everything. Uh, else.
0: I bet. So this podcast is called the Dice of Yore. Mm-hmm. So I would be remiss not to ask you, when, you know, when you were growing up. Did you have any idea that you would eventually be on this podcast? I, <laughs>
1: I had no idea that I would be on anything related to sexuality for <laughs> the longest time. Um, i I grew up with the expectation that eventually I would date boys, but I certainly didn't date any when I was in all the way through high school and through my first three years of college because i was I was just kind of. Non-sexual. Um, like I said, I was I was small, um, but I I was not just small. I I I wasn't. I didn't reach puberty. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. have. I didn't grow. I didn't develop any breasts, and I had no hips. And um, in in fact, in my in my freshman year, um, in my freshman year of college, I went to this. Barbershop to to get my afro trimmed, and um, I was sitting there, and the barber was, you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff and using razors, and he um, finished me up. And at the at the end of it, um I looked. He showed me myself in the mirror, and I had these sharp sideburns, and I said, "I I look like a boy," and he said. I thought you were a boy. So it was, um, <laughs> I thought, oh, well, I, and there's nothing I could really do to disprove oh. it. wasn't like I could rip my shirt open and say, what are these? Oh, so, I, I bet so that was, it was so embarrassing. Oh, it was just so embarrassing. It was oh. just so embarrassing. I slunk out of there feeling terrible the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you I, looked, I,
0: you looked little, so he thought you were like a preteen boy.
1: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I sometimes have the sense of humor of one now, but um, <laughs> I, but at that time, that's, he thought I was a, you know, a 16, 15 year old boy. I was,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was, I was just mortified. I was mortified, but I, I didn't start, I didn't really have attractions to other people one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did have an attraction to my, um, english teacher when i was in 10th grade who was a woman but i i didn't relate it to a sexual attraction i did i did know that i I liked being around her and i liked going to her house and we read things together and i liked that um and i but i i didn't feel anything that it would be even remotely called sexual um
0: it was more like an innocent crush. Yeah,
1: yeah, I was I I would crush on a teacher. So, um and I in I I hadn't um went uh, up until junior year of college I hadn't started menstruating either so if I were straight I could have had sex all that time without fear of pregnancy but um junior year of college that
0: is that's like later. That's late. Uh, that's yeah.
1: late. Well, it 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 seems it's somehow related to body fat. Mm-hmm. You know how um, ballet dancers apparently yeah. don't, they, they lose their menses and it's mm-hmm. because their body fat drops below a certain level. So I didn't have any body fat. I was just a scrawny little thing. And so I, my body wasn't preparing for motherhood and childbirth. So mm-hmm. it, there was no need for it. So I didn't have it until I was, I was in junior year and by by then when i when I did start having some attractions, it was to both boys and girls it mm-hmm. was it was in fact, it was um omnivorous because it i um I really was not i didn't discriminate among the people who I was attracted to and who I hooked up with mm-hmm. um, i I hung out with boys a lot um, in a in a sibling kind of way. And the the boys sort of took me under their wing as their non-sexual mascot. But hmm. boys in other groups, I would, I could slip off and hook up with but not, I, I didn't, en- I didn't enjoy hooking up with boys. And the hooking up with girls was just kind of awkward. And um, I knew I liked them. <laughs> I knew I liked their bodies, but I just didn't, and really they didn't either know what to what to do with our with each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I I for long periods of time was just not sexual at all. I was I told my I, I like to describe myself as an intellectual lesbian first. Mm. Um I started reading. Feminist literature and reading about women in society, and I, um, and realizing that I didn't like sex with boys, I it didn't didn't like being penetrated. That was hmm. that was um, kind of disgusting to me,
2: hmm. and
1: I thought there's something wrong with this. You know, this kind of taking feeling and all of the language of boy-girl sex at that time was was very, was very sexualized. It was, uh, was genderized. It was, um, he, he's gonna get some
2: um, Mm -hmm. and
1: and, oh, did you give it up? And so it was, it's the, you know, girls gave up and boys took. And I, I, I didn't like that. Even the language of it was, was, was power, was, you know, Mm -hmm. power-based. Like very
0: non-mutual.
1: Right, right, right. It was, yeah, um, I'm gonna go out and get some. I, that was, you know, that, that idea was that the, I, and I would, I would ask, well, why aren't, why isn't the girl getting some too? Oh, you're silly, Cunyon. Um mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen. And so it was, yeah, you, oh, she gave it up to him. And that mm-hmm. meant that you, that you surrendered and um, gave up this this valuable thing to an unworthy person but it's mm-hmm. it was as if you had this 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 prize that was to be taken and
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that was just un- unattractive to me just the whole thought of it was was wrong and so I I Would, was
0: can I break in real fast mm-hmm, Is this mm-hmm. in like the mid-70s I'm guessing yes was this? yes okay
1: Mid- Mid seventies, late seventies. Um mm-hmm. I was in college up until 76. Um and okay. um after that I was I went into the 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 Navy, went into the Navy after after college. Um but yeah that the that that power dynamic was really was was really unattractive but i i also recognized it in day-to-day life too you know mm-hmm. that um that that boys spoke more in class and and um they were encouraged to do that and women were not encouraged to do that and mm-hmm. um that that we we our our voices weren't heard and that what we they they weren't heard often, literally weren't heard. They would just we would say something and it would just be not even addressed. But and then disappear we, into the mist. It would just yeah. disappear. It just where did my words go? Am I speaking them into my chest mm-hmm. or something? Um so it it all of all of those things started to dawn on me um right in those in this in the 70s. And so I was I I started to identify as a lesbian, even though I wasn't having any successful lesbian relationships. That's so, interesting. So by the by the time I went to law school in 1978, I was identifying as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And um, so had some, had lesbian relationships there. And it was, you know, a liberal law school. So that was, not um not frowned upon or um not not denigrated but it certainly was it was it was treated differently in my among my black peers than it was in in general um hmm. the my my black peers were less they were less um tolerant they didn't didn't bug me or you know or say oh my god that's disgusting they just didn't um just um what did they? they just didn't condone it i guess hmm. without without really giving me grief about it they just made clear that that to them it was just don't talk about it to me or don't don't tell me about who hmm. you think is cute or whatever just Hmm. don't do that if you have to be that way then be that way by yourself and this was in spite and of this, the fact these were that your
0: black peers in law school
1: yes yes mm-hmm. and if, if you if you've been in high schools or colleges then or even now there's always a black table you know in the dining hall um there's the black people congregated and White people congregated, and every mm-hmm. now and then there'd be some. There'd usually be a, a black person who would sit at with the white people, um, but it was it was very much two different two different groups. It was very much two different groups, mm-hmm. um, and despite the fact that there that women outnumbered men in my class, and in the class ahead of me, mm-hmm. and in the next class they would not have dreamed of, of turning to one another, even if by, necess- by necessity. I thought, well, I mean, you look around you, you got more opportunities among women, but no one saw that, <laughs> no one saw that, except for me and one the person I, I ended up starting a relationship with, who, um, hmm. who I, I can't name now because she's married to a wonderful male professor.
0: Hmm. So did you feel torn a little bit between like two different worlds?
1: I did. I did. And it's been the it's been my um, my my reality ever since um, Hmm. that it is that the the black identity movement and the and the sexual identity movement and the women's movement were all happening simultaneously. And so there's you know this burgeoning sense of power of being um, being one of, of one of the black people and that we're identifying as as black and we're Afrocentric and we're seizing power and you know making demands that our oppression stop. But the same thing was happening. You know the same thing is happening with 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 women that we are you know fighting not to be pigeonholed and not to have opportunities denied us and not to be educated toward a particular woman path and so all of this is going on in my you know tiny little mind and it's just completely freaking me out i was i was um in constant awe of how much how many thoughts i would have in the in a single day about about these things, and mm-hmm. of, of course, being a being a at the same time that this, there's an anti-war movement, there's a youth movement. You mm-hmm. know, the young people are saying, "You you older people are making these decisions that mm-hmm. aren't aren't right, and we are going to demand that you not do them." I mean, so there's all these things are happening at once, mm-hmm. and my my head would explode at least once a week. Um,
0: I can't imagine how, you know, because I'm imagining when you were a little girl, I mean, even though this was post-Brown v. Board, like you were mm-hmm. attending segregated schools still because they were segregated yes. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so you and the so it's like you were growing up in the, the 1950s and 1960s in the segregated South. And then you're fast forwarding. And by the time you're a young adult, you're at a liberal law school. With right. the feminist movement and you know the Black Power movement and the gay and lesbian movement all happening at once, and it must right. have been jarring.
1: It it was it would have been culture shock with any one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it, it growing growing up as a as a, a black girl in the South, my you know adults would say, um, um, I mean the the path the path then. Was for was that you got out of high school definitely, um, my between my my teachers and and other adults they were definitely encouraging me to go to college and at that time the the colleges that they thought of were the HBCUs the historically mm-hmm. black colleges and universities so they were thinking of Fisk and they were thinking of um, Spelman which is the Women's school in Atlanta, um, um, and and so they were thinking of Virginia Union, which was right in in Richmond, um, and those were the those were the 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 pinnacles, and that that was what they were thinking about. But at that at that time in the '70s, um, the private private predominantly white schools were also deciding. We've been excluding people of color for too long. Let's go and see if we can skim the cream off the crop. And that's what they started doing. So um, I got all, I started getting invitations to interview for Wellesley and mm-hmm. and um, um, Holyoke, Mount Holyoke. And it was just, uh, all that was startling. And of course I I couldn't distinguish one from the other because I, I just knew that they were that they were those schools and that they were up north, um, and that there wouldn't be many black people there. Mm-hmm. And it was, I I would hear of the ubiquitous they. Well, you know, they're not going to let you do that. They're not gonna, they're not gonna let you um, be a be a doctor. They are not going mm-hmm. to let you. And so that would that would be there. But then all all of a sudden, these opportunities are are opening up. Um, and it was a an it was probably the time when the greatest number of middle income and low income black people went to the elite schools because mm-hmm. they were they were taking us from the cities and from um well, some you know, they were had always gone to some of the private schools, but they started. To get more numbers, they were going to you know public schools and stuff and mm-hmm. recruiting their you know top students and and getting some of them because if you know if you could you could go to Wellesley, why not? you know so mm-hmm. um it turns out i um turns out I went to to Yale for undergrad and so that was a you know that was the a, a shock in itself, but it really was it really was an exaggerated version of the world it was was all white men and they were they were all talking among themselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we were kind of very humble it
0: turns out I went to Yale but yeah that's (laughs) that's obviously very impressive (laughs) uh, Um, but yeah I imagine like you know Yale and the Late seventies, yeah, it must have been just a very different environment than how you. Grew yes, up. Yeah.
1: yes, yes, very, That's very different. Um, yeah. And it's and so I hadn't had hadn't had many opportunities to to mm-hmm. to deal with these things, but there were there. It was it was interesting though because in the and it, it only has come to light a lot now. Just in the in the gay and lesbian movement, that a lot of I mean the Stonewall participants were were men of color and women of color that were mm-hmm. um, being raided in the bars and mm-hmm. they were the you know it was the the um, black drag queens who were being beaten by the by the cops and they were the ones um, fighting back. And you know, outside of the Stonewall Inn, so it's there, there was a, it didn't seem necessarily to be a racially mixed phenomenon at the time. It seemed mm-hmm. to me like that's those are white people fighting for their sexuality to be acknowledged and to be not even mm-hmm. acknowledged, as it's just tolerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it, it, I didn't, I didn't recognize the. The racial component of it and how it it really was, um, it was also among the most integrated of the movements that were going on because the mm-hmm. the feminist movement was largely white women, um, mm-hmm. with the occasional you know um, s- spokesperson who was who was black um, and but but rarely and it was also at a time when. Black women were were trying to get feminists to to deal with issues that impacted them as women of color as mm-hmm. well as women, and that our 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 histories were different. You know, um, mm-hmm. we were saying we we don't want to get out uh, we don't want to get out of the house and go to work because it's fulfilling. We've already been getting out of the house and going to work because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. So, so it yep. was. It was. It was kind of talking across one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but and and the and it the women's movement was large. The feminist movement was largely straight. And and so it was. You know, there. These 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 liberation movements weren't necessarily. Coherent and cohesive, mm-hmm. um, because they all had different goals, and the goals weren't antagonistic, but they weren't they they didn't overlap, mm-hmm. um, and so they there was a lot of what do you choose kind of idea, and mm-hmm. and and during this time it was, um, it was it was hard to be any any one thing. Um, And I think that that accounted for the head explosions and it also Mm -hmm. accounted for um, my start having my my first therapy when I was an undergrad Mm. Um, to because I you know I kind of told the um, unfortunately the person who was the who was head of of your social life and your private life in in the in at Yale undergrad was called the master um, and mm. the person who was ahead of your academic stuff was the dean of your college and so I was in a in a particular college and our the ma- I went to the master and told oh. him that I you know was having all I was I was confused and I was distracted because all of these things were going on around me and I didn't have any framework for for dealing with them. I didn't know where I was supposed to be. And um, and I didn't know which which part of me I should fight for.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, you really, I didn't think you could fight for all of those things that you could fight for, to be a radical black feminist lesbian. And, you know, mm-hmm. just there didn't seem to there was there wasn't such a such a movement <laughs> so there so that it was you can mm. you can have pieces of this you can go to this meeting you can go to that other meeting and you can answer questions in one why you weren't at the last meeting.
0: Hmm. It's really interesting. Um, I want to make sure I ask you about your naval navy career mm. uh, because you are the first military member I've interviewed on the podcast. Oh. And so I was really curious about that.
1: Thank you. Um, the, the The Navy was um, quite an experience. Navy was quite an experience. And I was in the Navy at a time when um, there was not just a lack of tolerance for lesbians and gays and certainly not trans but there wasn't just a lack of tolerance there was active persecution and and um prosecution
2: mm-hmm. of
1: of of gays and lesbians um right like there, this was even
0: pre don't ask don't tell Like oh, don't was, ask don't tell was a step forward <laughs>
1: exactly exactly which was why people which is why lesbians and gays were happy about it because at least you weren't being pursued you weren't being there weren't undercover you know narcs at the clubs um checking you know trying to trying to get trying to pick you up and then having you know turning you over to the to the navy police um Mm -hmm. which was what they did um they um, would, they would go undercover in a, in a, in one of the few women's clubs that were, that were always near the Navy bases. Um, my, my first assignment was in San Diego. So there were lovely little clubs and, um, but the, the, Women, the enlisted women who didn't have driver's licenses because some of them hadn't been drivers, they would use their military ID to get into the club to show that they mm. were that they were 18, and that they would see, you know, the narcs would see that, and then they, you know, arrest five or six of them, and it was, you wow. know, just just in just intolerable behavior mm. and. For no other reason, um, for no other reason than that they were lesbian, and mm-hmm. that that was against it. It wasn't just frowned upon; it was a crime. Right. Um, and so you could, you know, people were being prosecuted, people were being administratively discharged, um, and those of us who could. Those of us who had uh, had alternatives where we could get together with the other women in there, in someone's home or in someone's apartment, then we we weren't subjected to that. And if we were discreet, um, but it you know it was it was just a, a fearful a fearful uh, oppressive time for for women and gay men. Um, I think gay men were were the recipients of of. Sexual violence more often mm. um, because your, you know, your stand-up Navy man is not going to tolerate a queer among him among them. So they would they would be assaulted, um, and but they would not be not be horribly punished because it was understandable that they would have been that mm-hmm. they would have been repulsed by somebody who you know invariably was accused of hitting on them Mm -hmm. um and so they would be the victim would be cast as the villain and among the among the women there wasn't much ratting on one another as there was among the men but it didn't they didn't need it because they could round up they could round up several um, and anybody who was in your vicinity would be rounded up and then you'd all have to justify why you're not lesbians and that was not i'm not a lesbian Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm not that i am a lesbian and i'm a great sailor it was Mm -hmm. i'm not a lesbian you know so that Mm -hmm. um because being a great sailor really didn't matter to them they were they were they were discharging people who were tops of their their of their um navy specialty it was Mm -hmm. so it was it's just horrible um when i was in as a as a JAG officer, um, a lawyer, I had, I represented lots and lots of people at administrative hearings being discharged. Um, Interesting. Many of them being um, accused of predatory conduct that I knew they were not guilty of Mm -hmm. um, because that was a That was a way of, at at least for for, for many of the men, that was a way of getting out of an accusation that you were gay was to say, well, that person um, hit on me and that was why I was there with him. I wasn't a willing participant in that. And so Mm -hmm. the other person would get in trouble and you'd be allowed to go about your fake straight way.
0: Hmm. Um, What made you decide to join the Navy?
1: You know, I, to this day, I, I asked myself that. Mm. I wanted to, I wanted to fly. Um, Interesting. And that was what I, I thought that after officer candidate school, I would be sent down to Pensacola and I'd start flying planes. Um, women weren't flying, you know, the fighter jets or anything then, um, or any any plane that could go into combat so women were in non-combat roles in the Navy. Um, so I could fly a cargo plane or um, transport planes, but not into not not go into combat. But it it turns out I, I was not um, I didn't have the eyesight to to do mm. it. I don't have the proper depth perception. So they um, they were paying to send people to law school at the time. So. Mm. So that's how I, you I, ended up
0: in the Navy.
1: That's how I ended up as a Navy jag, yeah, oh,
0: interesting,
1: yeah. they were they were paying um full full tuition
0: mm-hmm. um, a good
1: deal. and and a, and a stipend while I was there. So I thought that was that was terrific.
0: My dad and my sister both joined the military and
1: got their Did education
0: for the military, yeah, and my- you didn't
1: you didn't consider it
0: no i knew very early on i did not have the personality to succeed in the military. <laughs> yes. i am not uh, the discipline and following orders and all of that would have never
1: it, it just would have never worked for me oh um, trust me i had the same problems i um, <laughs> i want. Uh, there's some some things about it um stick with me and and Stay with me to this day. I still fold my underwear in a military fold. Um, that's from 30 years ago, so it's. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: I still do that, but but definitely not questioning orders. Even though you knew they came from people who were either ill informed mm-hmm. or um, or just wrong or or malicious,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: still had to you still had to do them. But the the community of of women officers was very. That was very fun. That was mm-hmm. a good, good group to have as you're in your, in your corner. And I also, you know, I generally got along with the, with the Navy men, you know, I could, I could, I could drink with them and I could cuss like them. Mm-hmm. And so I, and <laughs> um, it was pretty much all you needed to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And they would they knew that I wasn't they knew that I wasn't interested in any of them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that to contend with the sexual harassment that goes on a lot
2: mm-hmm. because
1: it, it, at the Even women's, n- women's numbers were so small that the, you know, and they are often in the subordinate positions. So men would, men were, were uh, predators. They were predators, they were aggressive. They sexually harassed. Um, mm. um, they assaulted and they raped and they, you know, and, and and in in many of the smaller units, if you didn't acquiesce in in the, if a woman didn't acquiesce in the man's overtures, then mm. she was labeled the dyke. If she, you know, whether she was or not, it was oh yeah, well mm-hmm. then you're you're a big dyke.
0: Uh-huh. Like well, if which you don't be, want me, which could kill your career.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My, my sister talked, she just left the military like maybe a year ago and she loved it. Um, mm-hmm. she, she was in the army and she loved it and she was an officer, but she, she's talked about some of that stuff. I mean, I don't yeah, think it's as bad as it was in the eighties, but um, right. Or seventies, but I think that's some of that stuff still goes on.
1: It's still, it's some of it still goes on mm-hmm. because the power dynamic is still, is still pretty much the same. Um, there are more women and that, that helps, but they're, Women will never catch up in power to the to the to be to the ranks that they need to be in in order to have influence over the structure because we have a 150 year, you know, um, shortfall.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, I mean, it was when when they started letting women in combat, um, there there weren't many who had the background to go because they didn't, you know, they. They, that's not how they started out as as baby officers you know so mm-hmm. when they they needed leadership roles they couldn't get leadership roles because they weren't, mm-hmm. weren't prepared for them um it's kind of like south africa after apartheid ended mm. there you know they all of a sudden want accountants and and teachers and journalists but no one's educated to do that because education had been denied so it was you know, it's kind of a catch. Um, right. And that's the same thing with, the, with women that they're, that's why, they're, you know, when there's a woman general speaking, that's really a, a rarity, May certainly still rare, um, not as rare, but still rare, um, because it means that you've come through the ranks and you, you've punched all those tickets going along the way. And that means that you would have had to, to start early
0: mm-hmm.
1: doing those things.
0: Um you mentioned the experience of being a female officer in mm-hmm. just that community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know, today there's there continues to be a, a pretty significant lesbian presence in the military. Yes. yes. And it was and it seems like that was true at the time. Too. It was
1: it was it was true at the time. Um and there, I mean, people still didn't know who might who might not be legitimate. Um, but there was, you, there we just took our chances. We just, you know, try to use our, our, our um, budding gaydar to to know, um, <laughs> and we just found one another. And then people would invite someone else out to to do something. Um, we had more mobility than the enlisted women. The officers had more more mobility. The um, the en- enlisted women were—I mean, they were younger. They had less money, so they had fewer options for for going to places that weren't near the base and for having their own quarters. Um, they didn't have, you know, their own apartments and things they could socialize at and be together without without exposing themselves to to, to danger. Um, so the the women officers community was was um, pretty cool, though it was definitely a definitely a, a respite for me and definitely mm. a kind of helped me stay sane when all of the other stuff was going on and mm-hmm. it still broke my heart every time I had to represent someone who was being persecuted because of their sexuality and I couldn't say to them you know look I'm feeling I feel you um, mm-hmm. and, but I you know I couldn't so. Um, That was, that was, it was painful. Kind of every time I had to do it. Um, Some of those, some of the the women, um, some of the women officers were, there were were, the Marine Corps is a part of the Navy, so there were women Marines as well as as women Navy who were who were would congregate, go to theater together. socialized have parties mm. sounds great yeah yeah those are good days and there you know there were there were, I you know I have to to hand it to the to the military in that it was also it, it was also pretty integrated racially mm-hmm. um there was oh lots of oh, r- rampant racism in the in the structure but mm-hmm. But among among the folk, you know, there'd be, especially the women, because there weren't so many of us that we could have separate, all totally separate groups. We tended to socialize together and and hook up with one another, and so it Mm -hmm. was, you know, cross racial and um, and that was that was exciting. That was one of the I think probably the first time I could be out and. But out and out within, out within that group, mm-hmm. um, and kind of left alone. I was sort of, I was more or less left alone by the by the power structure. Hmm. And it you know it but it that was as as much a at the whim of your commanding officer as it was anything else. Um, some some. Bothered to persecute people, and others didn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just happen to be in a in a unit that where the where the CEO didn't bother people, um, and so s- some units knew, and others didn't. And um, so when I,
0: yeah, yeah, it's it is. Like it was leadership roulette,
1: right? And it's it's the it's the same in. I mean, it's the same in corporations. It's the mm-hmm. same in in. Um, in any in not-for-profits it's the it's always the it's the whim of the leadership and it's Mm -hmm. the message from the leadership that makes the difference and if the leadership says that women are here for your amusement then that will that will happen and if they say um the people of color are not going to advance past certain levels and they're going to be kept in the more menial um job descriptions then that happened but it's it really is a matter of, of the leadership and and in the military it was stark this is the mm. leader this is what the leader says mm-hmm. and not just a matter of trickling down it was actually told right. them um and in it's um in in corporate america it's more subtle but it's still the leadership Mm -hmm. and it's it's very much hierarchical even though nobody's wearing stars or bars so i i don't want to
0: keep you too long but i'd love if you would just walk us through the next stage of your career because i know then after you left the military you went to law school and became a civil rights attorney
1: i i didn't become a civil rights attorney right away. I mm. became a corporate lawyer for a long time at a big corporate law firm that mm. looked a lot like the military, only it wasn't in uniform,
2: mm. but
1: it was the it was the same it's like dynamic. Saying, yeah. it was the same dynamic, um, mm-hmm. and except no one also no one was persecuting you for being for being gay or lesbian, um, and we had a little enclave of of gays and lesbians at my law firm, Um, many of them who have gone on to do some just terrific things um, in both the lesbian and gay community and in the the larger legal community.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: um, in fact, by the time I left the firm, there were more lesbians and gays than there were Black lawyers. So Mm -hmm. um, the they were able to, they managed to get the, to attract um, more gays and lesbians because of word of mouth. Uh, And it was positive word of mouth. And the the firm is now considered to be very, one of the most welcoming and most inclusive for gays and lesbians, Um, probably less so for lawyers of color, but that's, it's getting there, Um, Mm -hmm. getting there slowly, but it's a, it's a, a matter of tension. It's a matter of tension for me um, whether I can celebrate the the gay and lesbian successes when I can't really celebrate the the black um, successes as mm-hmm. much. So, um, but it was it was during that time I was I started doing civil rights cases and I thought I this was this was really what I wanted to do um, represent poor people in criminal cases um, represent. um, And in fact, I had a, a, while I was at the firm, I represented the group that was then called, was it called ACT UP? Oh, interesting. AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. Um, Wow. They they did a, they did a, a, um, yeah, they did a kiss in or or a dance in at this um at this strictly meat bar, um, straight meat bar on in one of the the meat market areas. And they did a dance in and the the straight guys loved it when the women were dancing together. They thought that was really sexy, but when the men danced together, they were just repulsed. Mm-hmm. And so they threw them out. Um, Some things never
0: change. Right, exactly, exactly, (laughs)
1: exactly. It's, you know, kind of, yeah, we're doing this for your pleasure. Um, So, um, but I, we, we, the firm represented them and I was their, their lead counsel in an action against the bar for, Hmm. for discrimination under um, the, under the, I think it was then the an an ordinance a city ordinance of that Mm -hmm. protected lesbians and gays so it was big fun it was wonderful when they came up to the firm you know this starchy white shoe law firm and the act up people came in with you know mohawks or um goths and and fishnets and whatever (laughs) so it was they said cunyon's clients are here (laughs) <laughs> but it was it was wow it,
0: that would have been late 80s early 90s
1: yes yes it was mm-hmm. a ple- pleasure working with them pleasure and a pleasure to do good it was just great um that I was in a place where I was making a decent living but also able to do some stuff mm-hmm. that I want to do and that so I've I've been since then I've been active I've been active in our lesbian and gay bar association and the and supportive of, of places that do legal work on behalf of, of lesbians and gays. At the, the place where I am now, where I'm at teamna, we don't have a um, we don't have a lesbian and gay law project because there are other organizations like Lambda that Lambda Legal that, that do have that focus and they can you know, they do it well. Um, so we do other kinds of civil, we do education rights and, um, police accountability, and I do prisoner civil rights Mm -hmm. and employment civil rights. And that, that includes some, um, some sexuality discrimination, but of all kinds, discrimination of all kinds. So.
0: What's your favorite part of your work now?
1: Right now, my favorite part of it is that, one, the, the boss is a lesbian, the number two <laughs> is a lesbian.
0: <laughs> Team Noble. And that is just normalized there. <laughs> it's, it's the,
1: the street women are the ones who are odd out. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> That's great. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to ask Kanyan, so you said you learned about yourself during the pandemic because you were by yourself a lot.
1: Yes, and I, I I, wanted to have someone there with me sometime or even, well, since we, for the first year of it, we couldn't go anywhere. You know, the movie theaters closed, the theaters closed, restaurants closed. So it was, it was what you could do inside with people you thought were safe. And that was nobody for about, you know, for about, 16 months
2: right
1: and if you didn't have a partner already you weren't going to find one during a pandemic um so that was the that was the time that i discovered that a little of myself goes a long way Mm -hmm. um and i god i was i was i read everything i played i played every electronic word game on the on the web um talked to talk to you know talk to friends and family and kept up by phone but i really did just every now and then want someone to cuddle with while you while you chill in netflix
0: of course you know,
1: so you chill in netflix by yourself it's
0: netflix and chill by yourself is lonely <laughs> not,
1: as much, <laughs> not as much fun at all yeah yeah so i i um it's 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 hard it it's hard now for me to um, form a a love relationship just because I'm older and mm. um, there a lot of the women my age are already hooked up. You know how lesbians are. Oh, I do. It's you know you hook up on that third date and then you're <laughs> there for life. So. <laughs> Um everybody I know is in a couple already, so um mm-hmm. i i everyone is keeping an eye out for me though mm-hmm. you know they're looking, they're looking well and i for, bet it
0: was i bet it was challenging too to date when you were like in the military and yes you know you obviously attorneys are incredibly busy and right right,
1: mm-hmm. and I was snobbish enough to want i i, I it was you know, it would have been inappropriate to date an enlisted woman anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. Although I, although I did for a while date a senior enlisted woman, Um, but that was, that was against the law too. So um, that we couldn't have walked along the base holding hands or even, even walking along the base, doing things together would have been frowned upon, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, going to the movies together would have been frowned upon. So um, we just stayed away from the base except for work. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So what, so what inspires you right now? What's inspiring you?
1: Mm, what's inspiring me right now? Um, you know, it's it, some of, I, I have less, less inspiration now than frustration. What's frustrating me right now mm. is the rollback of the, of the rights that That we fought for and gained in the last fifty years.
0: Yeah, that's an honest answer. Thank you for giving that.
1: To see that rolling back is just, just, um, it just saddens me so much. Um, There was a time when I was jealous of the LGBTQ movement because this in in forty years and thirty years you made these incredible strides, and that black people were still fighting for. Um, that there seemed to be a, a less reluctance to embrace gays and lesbians than it, it was to embrace and include black people. Um, and I, I I, grapple with why that could be. Um, so, I, you, you know, you say, don't discriminate against me because I'm black cuz I'm a lesbian. <laughs> Embrace me for that. So mm. it's really um and it, they shouldn't be competing. The, you know, yourselves mm-hmm. should not be competing against one another. So mm. um I I still I I still grapple with that. Um and I I am I mean the the leak of the of the of the road decision, the road Row reversal, the leak of that, and some of the commentary around it makes me know that LGBTQ rights are coming next. I mean, they hit voting rights uh, seven mm-hmm. years ago, um, to and and then all the states started doing anti-black voter legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's anti-women legislation in all the in you know 35 states and. And there's there's going to be anti-LGBTQ stuff going, and um, I don't know where it's going to end. Um, so I, if you can if you can point me to something to be inspired about, <laughs> please, please do, please do, because I look for inspiration. Um, I think the fact that people are still fighting. Mm-hmm. I went to the to the Lambda um celebration event fun big their annual fundraiser and it was it was wonderful to see people here in fact the governor of illinois came and and spoke and he was talking about how as a blue state we're still committed to lgbtq rights um and and that he would as long as he was there he would try to try to keep that going mm-hmm. and that was that was heartening that was heartening that there were so many people who were applauding and and raising their fists um and the fight goes on I guess that inspires Mm -hmm. me that inspires me but man the enemy is Mm -hmm. is prepared prepared and armed and wealthy so
0: I don't know if you'll like this but what inspires me actually is talking to people like you and other people I've interviewed on this podcast because you know like when you know people are calling gays groomers right yes <laughs> and that, that talk starts up and i'm like oh shit like yes. this is yes this yes. is a blast from the past right, right. it breaks me out right. a little bit but i re- i remember people like you and the other people i've interviewed who built really good lives in in times a lot harder than than this you know
1: well i'm i'm definitely going to um go back and listen to some more of them and um, I'm looking forward to it. I I'm glad that glad that I can add something um, to the to the history.
0: Yeah, this has been absolutely wonderful, and thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me. Have a great day. Bye
2: bye. bye.